Um, I'll be reading the scripture this morning. <laughs> this morning's scripture reading comes from John 21, verses 1 to 14. Please follow along in your own Bibles, or as the text is presented on the screens above, I'll be reading from the New International Version today. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Welcome too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the boat, and headed for shore. And the others stayed in the boat and pulled the load to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went abroad and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus observed them, the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Good morning, I'm Sharon Anderson, one of the pastors here. and Such a privilege to share God's word with you this morning. I just want to remind you of something um, that's coming up in two weeks from today on Sunday morning, April 29th. We are welcoming our candidate for uh, youth pastor, Mark Neely, and his wife, Lauren. They are going to be here in the service. There will be opportunity for you to um, meet with them in between services. So. Look for your email on that, but plan on two weeks from today this opportunity for our whole church family to meet this candidate for youth pastor. Before we dig into the scripture this morning, I invite you to pray with me. Lord God, we've worshipped you already this morning in voice and in giving, and, and now we come to your word with that same expectancy, because you promise us, God, that you make your word alive to us. So we ask you now, Holy Spirit, to take what is spoken and what we receive in our hearts and minds and amplify it through your spirit to do what you intend to do in us individually and as a community. We thank you you do this, God. You do this through your spirit. And we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. So, two weeks ago, we celebrated something pretty exciting. What happened two weeks ago? Easter Sunday, and we said together, we said, He is risen. He is risen risen indeed. This truth is what is a solid foundation for our faith, isn't it? And yet, I think two weeks ago for you, a lot has happened in the last two weeks, right? Some of you have been on spring vacation, Um, Some of you had new things, challenges come up in your jobs. Some of you have, uh, I actually went on a big trip and you're going to hear about it on my spring vacation. So that was actually a delight. New events, things to work on, things to pay attention to in the last two weeks. But we have to remember, he's still alive. 
It isn't just something we celebrate on Easter Sunday. He is risen indeed. And we walk into that, into each part of our lives because of that. Pastor J.D. preached last week about one of the times where Jesus made it very clear to his disciples that he was alive on that road to Emmaus where he met them and they didn't recognize him at first and then, wow, something happened as they were eating together and everything changed. And today we're going to bear witness of another appearance. It's important for us because the scripture gives us all these accounts where Jesus appears bodily before his disciples, before his followers, on those 50 days between his resurrection and his ascension. And so today we're going to look at another one of those. Evidence that what we say when we say he is risen indeed is really, really true. Today it's going to be about a simple thing called breakfast on a beach. You know, memories are so much a part of the way our faith and our life grows um, they kind of define the past and they shape our future, memories we have of things. Um, consider the ways that things that you see and smell and touch and taste, they come together to build a memory of something that becomes significant in your life. I saw this quote and read this, well, read part of the article this week from a man named Kenneth Wesson in um, his book, A Scientific Article in Brain World magazine. I didn't understand a lot of it because it was talking about brain chemistry and how the things we see um, affect the neurons and the pathways in in our brains, but this quote I did understand. This is what he said. Memories are the internal mental records that we maintain, which give us instant access to our personal past, complete with all of the facts that we know and the skills we have cultivated. Memories cement the things that we've learned. Memories, whether of good things or of bad things, complete what is just in our head and make it integrated into our whole being. Let me give you an example from my life. Whenever I smell the smell of sweet, hot grass, do you know what I'm talking about? And I'm not talking about that kind of grass. I'm talking about hay. (laughs) I just realized how bad that sounded. (laughs) Totally different kind of memory, right? No. Let me clarify. Once we, when I would smell this this hay. Um, it reminded me, it takes me back to as a child, being, in, um, being with my father. We had kind of a hobby farm, and we would cut the hay and let it dry in the summer and then have a baler come, and I got to go and help him. Help him take those bales of hay and get them up on the truck. And Actually, I probably didn't help much at all. I probably just rode on the bales of hay, but there's something about that smell And even the feel of that scratchy hay that takes me back to that moment. And I remember feeling the significance of having something to do that contributed to my family. I remember the emotional connection with my father. And it's a sweet memory that comes just from a smell. That's the way memories are. They tie us back to the past and they give us confidence into the future. And that's what we're going to learn about today in this Breakfast on the Beach. All the senses engaged in building these memories 
sight, sound, smells, taste, reinforcing what Jesus wants us to know and what he wanted his disciples to see, helping them to internalize what was just, for us sometimes it's just a term where we say, he is risen indeed. This was real for them, and we're going to experience it together as we walk through this text. John, in his gospel, which our text was from this morning, John gives us four accounts of Jesus appearing in, after his resurrection. There are many more of them in the scriptures, but John chooses these four, and he reminds us in all of these that it, this is the way Jesus revealed himself. They didn't go looking for the resurrected Jesus. He appeared to them, and he showed himself to them. The first one was with Mary Magdalene, right in the garden, right after the resurrection, when she is distraught, and she hears this person she thinks is the gardener, and when he says her name, she recognizes it's the Lord. And the next one, when the disciples are huddled together in a room, locked doors because of being afraid of the Jews. And suddenly Jesus appears. He's right there in the room with them. And he speaks peace to them. And their fear turns to joy. A second time Jesus appears, and this time especially for Thomas. We heard about him in the sermon on Easter Sunday if you were here. Thomas who said, I am not going to be able to believe until I touch that scar in his hand and in his side. And when I do, then I'll believe. And so Jesus appears to him and the disciples are there and Thomas does just that. He touches, he feels, he sees, and he believes that it is the Christ. And then this story in John 21. We come to this chapter in the book of John, which is kind of like an epilogue to his whole gospel. If you've ever read through the book of John, you can see that so much of what he does, he talks about the signs of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And he kind of concludes it in John 20, verse 30 and 31. This is what he says about his gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. We know that's true. We just have a little bit, a glimpse of what Jesus did while he lived on earth. John writes this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John summarizes, this is why I wrote this book for you. And then he has this epilogue. Remember how John has a, a prologue that kind of sets the stage of this global Christ who's always existed with God. And then he tells the details of his life and summarizes it and then says, oh, I have another part of Jesus' life, evidence of his resurrection that I want you to know about. Why did he include this epilogue? I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe the disciples of that time needed to hear for certain what Peter was all about and what John was all about. And so he gives us this epilogue, this story full of details of senses and smells and sights and sounds. He takes us from Jerusalem, which was where most of the events of John took place, back to the Sea of Galilee, back to the place where most of Jesus' ministry had taken place. That's the scene. And for me, I can imagine what that scene was. You see, I just got back with a a group of others from our church on a trip to Israel and Palestine. 
And so it was just six days ago that I stood on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and smelled that water and felt it and saw that place where this scene might very well have taken place. Galilee is a huge body of water. When we first were driving up there, I remember being so excited looking and seeing, there it is, I can't believe I'm going to see the Sea of Galilee. But we were around it for several days. And then you realize it's a beautiful body of water like many others around the world. But big, 64 square miles, almost 8 miles across. This picture was taken on the western shore, very close to where Jesus might have spoken his words of the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, our group had to go out on the boat too. We had a blast. We went on a a boat called the Matthew. Kind of fun. Uh, That's my husband and I there. We were able to, we didn't do any fishing on this uh, trip at all, not a fisherman, but we were able to um, just go out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and look to the shore and, and recognize that's the same shore Jesus saw when he was out on a boat. That's the same shore the disciples experienced when they were with him. So it was a phenomenal experience to be there, to recognize this is where this happened. It's real. It's really happened. So what I'd like to do this morning as we walk through this text with a few pictures from my time there is to to just engage the story again, to think about all the memories that had been built and the places that Jesus encounters his disciples and how it shows who he truly is. So if you have your Bible, you can open to John 21 or just follow along with me as I walk through this and we find out what Jesus is. Why, in the, why, why all of a sudden are the disciples in Galilee? Well, we do know that in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus had instructed them, after I'm resurrected, I want you to go back to Galilee and I'll meet you there. So sometime between his resurrection, when they had been in Jerusalem, probably about a week later, they have traveled back to Galilee, and who knows, maybe they're waiting for him to say something to them, to meet them. And you know, the gospel writer writes here that they were there, they give us the names of who was there, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, two others, and Peter decides hey, I'm going to go fishing. You want to come along? You know, so many commentators have written that this kind of is blame. They blamed Peter for this, as if Peter was abandoning the call of Jesus to go back to his old profession. But I don't think that's the case. I think it was more that Peter and his friends were there in that place where Jesus had called them to go. And what was their livelihood? Fishing. They needed something to eat. Let's go fishing. And so that's what they did. The scripture just says they all decided, I'll go with you. We'll go with you, Peter. If you continue to read the story, you don't get any sense that Peter is the one who doesn't want to follow his Lord. Because what does he do later in the story? He runs towards him. So Peter's just back fishing, doing what he's normally doing. And probably all, you know, fishing was mostly taken at night. Experienced fishermen, fished all night, caught nothing, right? Caught nothing at all. It's early morning. They're tired. They look to the shore and they see a figure there. They don't necessarily recognize that figure. But he calls out to them, says, 
Friends, have you caught any fish? Oh, for a fisherman, that's a hard question, especially if you've been out all night. No, we haven't caught any fish. And the stranger says, well, throw your nets on the right side. And so the disciples do it. And then comes a moment of recognition. What was just a stranger and a voice on the shore suddenly becomes someone they know. Because what happens? All of a sudden the net is full of fish, teeming with fish, more than they'd ever seen. Things happen there. The recognition, what was empty net becomes full. What was a lack becomes abundance. And immediately they recognize who that person is on the shore. You know, it's John who has that quick discernment first. He says, it's the Lord. Oh, doesn't that stir in your heart? They had this this resurrected Jesus. It's the Lord. And Peter, who's always quick to action, jumps right in the water. It's interesting that the scripture says he put on his coat. And then jumped in the water. Usually we think of it the other way around. We take off our clothes to jump in the water. But he probably had been fishing, um, sweat. He had been, you know, working hard, sweaty, dirty, and wanting to go meet his Lord again, clothed appropriately. So he puts his cloak back on, jumps into the water, and swims toward Christ. This moment of abundance is part of the memory that comes back to them of this time on the beach. And I want you to kind of walk with your imaginations with me as we look at three things that triggered a certain memory for them and confirmed who Jesus was. And that is with fish and fire and bread. You see, this wasn't the first time, was it, that the disciples had been without fish after a long night of fishing. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, we hear about a time when they had fished all night. Jesus was actually in the boat with them then, and he in the morning says, I want you to cast your net on the other side. And once again, (laughs) miraculously, it's full of fish. This time the, the net breaks. They can't even get it in because there's so many fish. And at that moment, that memory that Peter had, is he said to the Lord, Oh, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful person. I can't be around someone who's so holy, who's so miraculous, who provides so abundantly. But Jesus challenges him, invites him, and says, No, Peter. From now on, I don't want you to be afraid of that. I am going to make you a fisher of people. It, so this second miraculous catch of fish triggers a memory for every one of those disciples. He's done this before. He's doing it again, and I'm going to remember what he called me to that day. I'm going to remember, with that smell of fish teeming on the side of the boat, the sight of their silvery scales in the water, I'm going to remember that he is one who provides abundantly, even when it seems there's no hope. You might have had something in a time in your life when you've, so to speak, fished all night. You've worked hard. You've done everything you thought you should do. And still, there's no good results. 
Nothing seems to come of it. Nothing to show for all your work. You're even following the Lord and trying to do what he calls you to do, and you don't see any results. I wonder if we would look intently and listen with ears of faith, if Jesus would be telling us, you know, I have another way for you to do this because I do want to provide for you abundantly. Maybe a time where if we're really willing to follow Jesus' call to try something new where he would have abundance to share with us and we too would be able to say, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. So what do they see when they get on the shore? Peter, heading ahead of them, the disciples coming along in the boat, they see Jesus there around a charcoal fire. That's the other part of this remembrance, a fire on the beach. Oh, excuse me, we're going to do fish first. I, I skipped something there. Let me go back. I, we, ha, we, can't, we can't skip over the part that later in this text, they tell us how many fish there were. Now, I don't know how many of you are fishermen. I am not. But I know that fishermen love to tell their stories of what they caught. Right? They want to measure and weigh it and tell you and make sure you know how awesome it was, the fish that they caught. So why does John include in this text, there were 153 large fish. You know, there have been commentators and speculation about this over the centuries. People who said it... The number means this, uh, th- it means that, uh, it, it relates to 150 people, uh, kinds of people in the world. It, I wonder, though, if we couldn't just simply say that though that miraculous catch of fish was a lot of fish, and they counted it, and they held those slimy fish, and they remembered, this is amazing. Maybe it's just enough to say There was an abundance, more than they could imagine. And whether it's 153 or 210, they recorded it. And they kept it to remind them that God is a God who abundantly provides. Some suggest that maybe it's the gospel net that holds all peoples in it without tearing. That's a beautiful simile, uh, uh, metaphor as well. But just think... They've done this once before and they're doing it again and they say, this is the Lord. He provides abundantly even when we think we're at the end of what we can do. So it stirs those memories of the fish. And then let's go to the fire. You heard in the text it was read that it was a charcoal fire. You know, that Greek word is only used twice in the New Testament. And they're both in the Gospel of John. A Greek word translated charcoal fire because they see it, they smell it. Can you kind of go in your imagination, think of what a great charcoal fire smells like? Maybe right along the beach when you camped there. Well, there was this, the other charcoal fire in John's gospel we find in John 18. And Peter is once again there. He's warming himself beside a charcoal fire in the courtyard of the priests around the Sanhedrin. And Jesus is in, the, in being questioned and interrogated, beaten. 
And Peter is there at that charcoal fire and saying, I don't even know this man. He says it not once, but three times as the smell of that fire and the warmth of that fire surrounds him. And so here he is again, this time on a beach with a fire, a fire that reminds him of that other ways. You know, the scripture says Jesus had set the fire. He prepared it. He set it up for them. It's almost as if Jesus set up this scenario from one fire to a next fire to remind Peter that I am going to meet you and restore you from where you were. If you were to go on and read the last part of the gospel, the chapter 21 of John, you'd hear all those words. They're at the fire. And Jesus is talking to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter has opportunity not just to see the provision, the abundant provision of the fish, but the abundant provision of grace that welcomes him back and says, I have plans for you. I still want you to be a fisher of people. And so those two memories, those two fires become part of the way that God's abundance is realized for these disciples and especially for Peter. When we walked along the shore of Galilee just six, seven days ago, hard to believe, (laughs) we also saw that place where Jesus, where Peter met Jesus on. And they've erected a statue. My picture of it wasn't the greatest, so I didn't put it here. (laughs) It's a beautiful statue. It shows Christ reaching forward and Peter looking up on it from his knees to his Lord. When we came to that statue, it was almost, you know, there were people all around. We were down on the beach before all of that, and we came up, and it was almost like as you came close, the crowd kind of hushed, a lot of tourists around. I think there was an awareness that that could have been us as well. Someone who had denied Christ, who had run away at the worst time ever, and yet Jesus is welcoming him back. And Jesus is saying, Peter, Peter, I have a calling for you. I want to reinstate you and remind you of who you are. That wonderful statue, that wonderful reminder that God meets us even in our times of defeat and shows us a new way. Well, the charcoal fire is there and it's time for breakfast. And the bread has been sitting there on, near the fire and warming them and probably warming What memories do these disciples have of bread being supplied? Certainly they remembered. It hadn't been that far away from this site. Certainly they remembered just up the hill when they were desperate for feeding a crowd of 5,000 and all they had were two fish and some loaves of bread and Jesus took them and he broke them and he multiplied and there was so much They had leftovers, leftovers that the disciples held on to and probably ate. A reminder that even in all the needs that were around them, Jesus could meet them where they are and he could provide. The reminder 
that when bread was broken, even if it didn't seem like enough, it was Jesus meeting them there. You know, when the scripture says it right here in John 21, and Jesus, this is here in verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. It sounds like a Eucharistic model, doesn't it? It sounds like that meeting together around the table at the Last Supper when Jesus had taken the bread that was so much a part of the Passover meal and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body which is for you. So now when he gives them the bread around a fire, eating a meal together, once again they're reminded, this is the God who sacrificed himself for me. And he is indeed alive right here with me, conquered the power of death and sin, and eating with me again, providing. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus gives them the bread, it says, when he was ready to talk to them and give them breakfast, they said, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Who are you? Isn't that encouraging to you? I mean, earlier, they knew it was the Lord, the scripture says. It is the Lord. But still, there was a little uneasiness, a little uncertainty and hesitancy. After all, they'd never really, only a few other times, seen a resurrected body. Is it really the Lord? That encourages me that these disciples who were right in the vicinity and could touch this Jesus, this resurrected body, were still uncertain. Is it really the Lord? Yes, it is the Lord. Have you ever been like that in your life? Yes, it is the Lord. I'm not sure. Was that really the Lord? It encourages me to know that the disciples, even in that moment, had that sense of hesitancy, and Jesus continued to meet them where they were. One of the gifts that we're able to do as a tour group together was to share communion there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee took a simple cup and some loaves of bread after we'd played in the water a bit put our hands in the waters of the Sea of Galilee we were reminded it's there it's in this meal that Jesus says I've given all of this for you so we received it again on the Galilee beach not breakfast But something like breakfast, nourishment for our souls, a reminder of who we were in Christ, who he is for us today. Abundant grace, that's what this meal is all about. Not deserved, not earned, a piece of bread that Jesus is meeting them at breakfast with, but bread of his body given for you and I. This is the abundance of recognition in who Jesus is. Abundance of fish, a fire of abundant grace, and abundant pardon through his death and resurrection for us. Memories are powerful things, aren't they? What we continue to remember and soak in can can determine what our future is. And when Jesus miraculously appeared in his resurrected state at the breakfast on the beach, he was reminding his disciples, I 
am here to provide for you abundantly. I will continue to be here to provide for you abundantly. Even when I'm gone from the earth, I will continue to provide for you all you need. Those of us who gather here in 21st century Sammamish, Washington, we have not had the privilege of sitting at a breakfast with the resurrected Jesus. But he's here. One of the things that we kept saying while we were walking around this area, this is Jesus' neighborhood. We might be walking right in his footsteps. I wonder if his foot was right there and his hand was there. And, and as I pondered that even more, there was this thing, sense. Jesus is right here in this neighborhood. He's right here walking among us. We don't see him, but he's here through his spirit. And he wants to provide for us with a Abundance because of his resurrected power. This is a certainty we have with the Easter story. When we say he is risen, he is risen indeed. It's because he's here to meet us in our neighborhood and to cement our memories so that we can clearly say, I will follow him wherever he leads. I invite you to pray with me. Oh Lord, what a gift to recognize that you really walked on the earth, that you sat with your friends and you ate a meal, that you met them just as they were. And Lord, you're the same today. You meet us in our neighborhood. You build memories into our faith that remind us of who you are. And how greatly you want to provide for us. Lord, increase our faith. Remind us of the calling you've given us to be fishers of people. To not be afraid to shout it, to share it. Because we know you're the God who provides. And we thank you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.